Yeah. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. These are the last words of our Lord here on earth. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are incredibly thankful um, for just the torrent of blessing you have uh, bestowed upon each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that tonight uh, would be a special night. I pray that tonight would be a night where we uh, truly become intimate with you, Lord. God, I pray that um, through just all the complications of life and even the complications that Christianity itself um, brings, Lord, I pray that we would just be able to simplify everything tonight in seeking you. Lord, I, I pray for our pastor right now. I pray that you would just cause him to enter into such a deep sleep that he would wake up tomorrow morning just refreshed and renewed and ready to go about your work. Bless him, Lord. We just pray a revival of his spirit and of his body. Lord, uh, we pray that tonight you would do so with our spirits, Lord, and our passion for you. We love you, Lord. This is your night, not ours, and we recognize that. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So tonight, I just, it, it's going to be simple, guys. It's just going to be profoundly simple tonight. And my hope is that I'm going to say some things tonight just regarding discipleship that you already know. But saying them on the pulpit would cause us to really internalize it. It would cause us to rethink some things in our lives, would cause us to really look at where our priorities are and how we can go forward in this new year. Because I'm, I'm sure all of us in here, I mean, you're coming to church on a Wednesday night. You love Jesus, right? All of us, in some respect, want this year to be dedicated to our Lord. We want this year, we want to experience growth. We want to experience uh, new things this year and, and new ways where we can glorify and worship our Savior that we haven't seen in prior years. We make New Year's resolutions and, and we desire every single year whether it be physically, spiritually, or mentally, we desire to improve, yeah? And so it is my desire and, and, and all of our desire, I'm sure, to improve the church. To improve the church. And I don't mean the church as a building necessarily. I don't mean the church necessarily as even Godspeed Calvary Chapel. I mean the church as a whole this year ought to be dedicated to growing the church, building it up spiritually, and so as we see here at this point in time where we look at Matthew 28, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he gives his disciples some last words and a last command. <clears throat> at, at this point in time, Jesus has spent a little over three years with all of these disciples, all 11 at this time, but 12 in the three and a half years. We all know what happened to Judas, right? You say that they did life together. Jesus and these 12 men, they did life together. And I don't mean that the disciples just hung out with Jesus on Sundays or on a Wednesday night. Jesus poured all that he was into these disciples. Most of his time was spent individually pouring into them. You see, we read about all the times where he healed the masses. We, he, we he, you know, hear about all the stuff that he would did. But at the end of the day, who is he camping out with? The disciples, right? At the end of the day, it was these 12 men who Jesus poured himself into. You see, he didn't heal everybody, right? He didn't heal everybody. He, he didn't cast out every demon. He could have, but he didn't. 
You see, Jesus poured most of his ministry into just 12 men. And Jesus was then, after these three years of ministry, crucified, right? Jesus was crucified, and it seemed as though, for these disciples, and we read in Scripture, it seems as though all hope was lost at this point. Because you have this man that is continually pouring in to all of these people, and they see him there hanging on the cross, the one who was supposed to be the Messiah. And it broke them. You see, there was this loss of hope when Jesus was on the cross. You see, for us, we look back at it and it's so much hope, right? The hope that our sins are atoned for by the blood of the lamb. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus is dead. He is not yet risen. So in their heads, their savior, their Lord is done for. And Peter famously says, I'm going fishing. He just goes back. See, in the absence of a mentor, he falls into despair. In the absence of his mentor, he falls into despair and goes back to his old ways. Peter, this man who had witnessed so many miracles from Jesus, the minute Jesus was absent, went back to his old ways of fishing. But we don't see that after Jesus ascended, right? Why? Because he has the promise, lo, I am with you always. And so we see that there is this, when Jesus rises again, there's a tangible hope for these disciples. There's a tangible physical hope. Though Jesus is not with them physically, he ascends to be with the Father to go make a place for them. There's this, there's this tangible, real, our Savior is alive. Right? There's this ongoing discipleship that Jesus does via the Holy Spirit continually in the disciples. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts, right? We see that all throughout the book of Acts. You see, though they had known it before that Jesus was Christ, now they get to truly experience it. Jesus being the Christ. Now Jesus is about to leave. The apostles don't despair in this. In fact, it says right here in Acts chapter one, it says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The name, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven, right? So Jesus ascends, the apostles, they just, they're just looking. Think about this. This is a time before balloons. It's a time before balloons. It's a time before airplanes. It's a time before like things flew, right? It's a time before things flew, like, like it was birds, all they had, right? And they saw this man just levitate and leave. And they're just sitting there. Gone. Gone. It's a different type of awe, Right? Before they were in all like, I can't believe our Christ is dead. But now it's like, whoa, you know, they have no idea what to think. And these, and these men in white, probably angels, they come up to them and say, men of Galilee, what are you doing? You have a job to do. And instead of Peter going fishing for fish, what does he do afterwards? He goes fishing for men, right? He goes fishing for men because there's this tangible hope of his mentor, Christ, being in his life, alive in his life. You see, the disciples leave that place with hope, strength, and mission. Hope, strength, and mission. It was Jesus who said to them prior, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Guys, there's, there's, there's this very interesting just hope and steadfastness that comes in the disciples once Jesus has made himself alive in their lives. You see, the disciples, though faced with persecution, Though faced with trial, some would be stoned, some would be boiled alive, some would be crucified, some would be beheaded. 
You see the disciples, they went through this continual state of trial and persecution. Immediately, guys, they'd be imprisoned. Immediately. They'd be thrown into prison. However, never once again did they despair in the same way as when Christ was crucified. Never once when they were in prison, when they were being beaten up. You see with Peter, right? He was crucified upside down for the Lord Jesus. But he was in more despair when Jesus was crucified on the cross than he was when he was being crucified upside down. You see, no matter what trials laid ahead, there was this victory that Peter had and this victory that he realized inside of himself. There's this victory that he had in Christ and this boldness that he had in Christ that he had never had before because he knew that Jesus was alive and active and working in his life. And Christian, you see, all of the dedication and time that Christ put into these men was not sufficient before the victory of the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit. It was not enough to simply give time. Jesus had to have victory on the cross for real discipleship to occur. And we're going to be talking about discipleship tonight in the short time that I'm with you. We're going to be talking about discipleship, and and I I want you to know, Just I'm going to give the entire thing away for you. The entire point behind discipleship, the entire point behind mentorship, Christian mentorship, is so that others can experience the victory of Christ, as you have. So others can experience the victory of the cross, as you have as well. All other discipleship, all other mentorship is in vanity without the victory of the cross. Because ultimately, guys, no matter what kind of good advice you can give to people, no matter how much knowledge you can impart onto them, eventually they're going to be in despair and have that temptation to go back fishing. They're going to have that temptation to go back to their old ways if there's no victory. And so us as Christians... It is our simple call to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is our purpose, Christians, to make disciples. It is our purpose to make disciples. You see, I began ministry. I'm going to give you just a little glimpse of some of my testimony. My kids know it very well, the youth kids, because they got to experience it. But I began ministry at a very, very weird time in my life. 16. I mean, I, 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 at age 16, we had our, our youth group seek. And the junior high minister, he had to go on and he had to do a few things. And there was no junior high leader. They were with the high school group. And then eventually, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up as a 16-year-old with these junior high kids. And you see those junior hires, you know, that they, you know, the junior hires that began with me when they were in sixth grade, and many of them are here right now, and they're sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school right now. And you need to realize something, and it's, you guys already know this, but 16, guys, like I was stupid. I was dumb, completely stupid. And do you know what? I was in sin, at that time. Like sin that I would think if I were committing them now would disqualify me. And and, and so I was was just at this time in my life where I I just had no idea what to do. And and, and I had this, I had these, these kids that were only like three years younger than me. And and I, I had to pastor them. And, 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 and as I think, and I look back at it, I barely had my own life together. I barely had my own life together and I was supposed to be entrusted with the lives of of these kids. You see, the concept of writing sermons and organizing events and leading ministry was completely foreign to me, guys. It was completely foreign to me. Everything that you would consider normal, everyday youth ministry, I had no concept of it. I wasn't even super involved of, in my junior high ministry or my high school ministry when I was there. And, and, and so really, I, I had, for the most part, no clue what I was doing. Not a clue. 
And as I do often still, when I began ministry, I overcomplicated things in my brain. I overcomplicated things. You see, when I would think about discipleship, I would think about, okay, I got to spend this much amount of time on my sermons. I got to have this many youth events. I got to have this many outings. I got to have this many clever games to play in the beginning, right? I have to have this many of this, this many of this. And my youth could not catch up with that type of ministry. My youth did not enable me to have these incredible administrative skills, My youth made me incapable of functioning in an adult role because I was a youth. And I have no shame in saying that. I have no shame in saying because I was young, I was unable to do things that adults would do. Because as young people, we are young. We don't have the life tools and the life skills to do certain things. I don't have certain experiences that I was able to impart to these kids. I was working through the same exact struggles that they were struggling with themselves. And I began to just overcomplicate everything. Everything. And I believe, guys, I truly believe one of the most overlooked sins in Christendom is overcomplicating God. One of the most overlooked sins that we often commit is overcomplicating our Lord. Saying, ah, he's just, he's too vast to understand. So I'm just going to go to church and do my thing because there's no way I can really truly understand it. Right? And we appreciate God into apathy. Rather than participate in his mission, we appreciate him in his mission. You see, I was in a discipleship meeting with one of our kids today, actually. And it's Zach. You know, I don't know where Zach is. Yeah, there he is. And he said something very profound, though he didn't know it was profound, um, as often us youths do. He said something that resonated with me. It's that we tend to focus so much on little issues, such as predestination or end times, And we confuse ourselves and we overlook the simple things like balancing faith and works. Like loving one another as yourself. Right? We we focus on such the hard theological truths and we we try to explain everything that's a little complicated in our heads and we focus on such such complicated issues that we actually forget the most simple of commands that Jesus said so himself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This he holds above all the law of the prophets. So I tried to dream up all these catchy ministry ideas to get youth kids to come. And I began planning tons of different events. And I tried my best to sermonize and create PowerPoints and, and different stuff. And I came to this realization. How many of you, he's not here, so don't worry about it. How many of you remember one of Pastor Rob's sermons from three months ago? Let's say, maybe not just, just, maybe just a couple months ago. How many of you guys remember the first Sunday of December, his sermon? How many of you can say the main takeaway point right off the top of your head? How many of you? Kids, how many of you know exactly what I taught on like five weeks ago? Yeah, right? We don't remember I don't remember. Yeah, I know, called out, right? Oh, dang it. No, no, but here, here's, here's the point I'm getting at, guys. Here, here's the point I'm getting at. I don't remember what Rob taught me five weeks ago on the pulpit, but I can tell you I remember every single discussion we've ever had when he took me out to lunch. By far, I can recite every single discussion. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about discipleship, guys? It tells us something very specific. 
And, 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 and it tells us not to overcomplicate things past relational discipleship and ministry. And this is something our men's ministry is diving heavily in. And that's partially why I want to preach this to you guys. I really want you guys, men, if you're not plugged into the quads that are happening, the men's discipleship that's happening, see Pastor Brett. Because it's this type of ministry that's taking place right now. Ladies, Tuesday nights, women's ministry, go for it. Because you know what? It's that type of discipleship that sticks. Sermons are excellent. They're bread. And sometimes a nice T-bone steak for us. Good meals for us to nourish ourselves and to be refreshed for ministry. But I'm going to tell you guys, the disciples, they did life with Jesus. They did life with Jesus. Never overcomplicate God into theology, into all these different concepts and, 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 and perfect patterns as to how to get people to Jesus. The perfect formulas, five easy steps to this, five easy steps to getting people to Jesus, five easy steps to evangelize to your neighbor. You see in Ezekiel chapter three, it says, God says this to Ezekiel, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give them no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood will be on your hands. This is what God's saying. God's saying, I have appointed you, Ezekiel, son of man. I've appointed you to be a watchman over Israel. And if you see a warning coming and you don't warn them, they will die. But that blood's on your hands. That blood's on your hands. And the word that the Lord gave me when I was reading this, it wasn't necessarily a condemning verse, rather an exhortation or a suggestion to me. <clears throat> you see, the temptation in Christianity, guys, the temptation in Christianity is to pay attention to the watchtower and start building the watchtower and the aesthetics of the watchtower and to see how the watchtower looks. I want to build, I want to make the watchtower look pretty. I want to make it, I want to make it look majestic. I want to make it taller. I want to make it better. And while we're working on the watchtower, we're ignoring all the warnings that are going to kill those around us. And, and, and in the same manner, guys, we're, we're working and we're building ourselves up. And, and we're trying to learn as much as we can about the Bible so that we can be the best Christian possible. All the while, while we're paying attention to ourselves and our own spirituality and our own watchtowers, we're ignoring the people around us. You see, if your house is holy and sanctified and no evil can get in it, but your neighbor is plagued with demons and vice and addiction. What good is your house? There needs to be some discipleship that goes on in our lives, guys. There needs to be the heart of Christ. We need to stop dedicating all this time to things that really don't matter too much. I, you know, I, I think of Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, in a discipleship way, he invites Peter, James, and John to go up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Notice he didn't invite the other disciples. You see, Jesus had a very interesting way. He had a very interesting mode. He had the multitudes. He had the 70 disciples that followed him closely. He had the 12 that he always spent time with. Then he had three that he poured specifically into all the time. He had three, and that was Peter, James, and John. He took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain, and he revealed all of his holiness. And Moses and Elisha come, and they're there, and Peter freaks out. He starts free. He said, Lord, it is good that they are here. We're going to build tabernacles for all of you, and it's going to be good, and you guys can stay here forever. He was just so, he was fangirling. He was geeking out. Peter, he was just, he was just geeking out at just, oh my gosh, it's Moses and Jesus and Elijah. Oh, this is so cool. And he's like, we need to make tents for them. We need to make buildings for them. And all of a sudden, a cloud of thunder 
envelops the entire area. Thunder just roaring and God's roaring voice going against Peter as Peter curls up into a corner. God yells at Peter and says, this is my son. Hear him. Hear him. And the point is when we're overcomplicating things and when we're wanting to make tabernacles for things that aren't Jesus, God will stiffly rebuke us and saying, no, 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 no. Remember Jesus, hear him, hear him. This is my son. Stop overcomplicating things. Stop making these separate ministries if they're not going to glorify Jesus. Stop having these, these groups in your house if they're not going to glorify Jesus. Stop having this relationship if it's not going to glorify Jesus. And you see, we cannot overcomplicate God. We cannot overcomplicate God. And in the midst of my early, just early months in ministry, just trying to figure it out, super young, still in high school, trying to navigate the waters of ministry and trying to understand just, man, how, how do I disciple these kids and how do I help these kids? And then began something called, that we call Soul Boost. And it was the first, and it was super cool, and it was awesome. How many of you guys were in the original Soul Boost? Raise your hand. Just like the original, yeah. Yeah, see? It was so interesting because all the events and all the camps and all the outings and all the games and even my sermons bore very little fruit compared to Soul Boost. And Soul Boost was a time before service that we still have. It was before service where it was just like, not even 10 kids just sitting down. We ate a meal together and we just talked about Jesus. It was just me and them and just talking about Jesus. And there's so much more fruit from that one group than any of the sermons I've ever preached in my life. So much more, guys. And I'm not belittling the pulpit at all. Know this, I'm not belittling the pulpit. It has the purpose. Its purpose is to guide us in the vision, right? So, so the pulpit's job is to empower you and to exhort you into doing the ministry, which is making disciples, right? And, 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 and so, guys, the temptation is always to overcomplicate things in your life, but it is Jesus himself who said, just two commandments, man. Love the Lord, and love people, period. And Jesus, having that same mindset, makes things simple for his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. You see, forget about the silly, complicated facts of Christianity and ministry in general. Forget about it just for a second, just for a second. You can start thinking about them when you go home. But for right now, let's just think really quick and let's forget about predestination, limited atonement, end times theology. Let's, for one quick, think about, forget about church attendance, your Bible reading plan, and usher ministry. Just forget about it really quick, okay? Just really quick, just blank that out of your mind. All other ministry which is good and holy and sanctified of the Lord and builds up his church and you need to be doing, right? But at the end of it all, one question, are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Jesus had his disciples. Abraham had Isaac. Moses had Joshua. David had his mighty men. The list goes on. I am young and experienced and many people are far more knowledgeable than me in scripture, in church relations. There's so many of you that can just blow me away as far as theology goes. There's so many of you that outserve me every single day in the church. There's many of my kids that can totally outserve me. And, and there's many of my friends that can outdisciple me. They do every day, they challenge me. My satisfaction does not come from how well I preach a sermon. Honestly, guys, and I've said this on the pulpit many times, 
if I never taught another sermon, I'd be totally okay. Because I can tell you something. I can name at least 13 kids right off the top of my head that can preach a message right here, right now in front of all of you and do better than me. Many of them are in this room right now. Kids that can just blow us all away and teach us, right? And, and you see, it's not a good sermon that satisfies me. It's the fact that they can preach a sermon that satisfies me. Does that make sense? You see, when I'm flourishing, it's nowhere near as awesome as when the people I'm discipling flourish. Nowhere near as amazing. And so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who is flourishing as a result of your discipleship? Who is flourishing? And, you know, this, this is, this is going to be a, a, a very difficult call for some of us to invest our lives into people. But it's the call that our, our Savior has given us, right? It's the call that our Savior has given us. Really, his last words before he went up is, make disciples. Make disciples. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're super young or super old, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what demographic you are in. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter your marital status. And, and, and I really just want to encourage you guys, some of you in your heads, you're thinking, I, I'm just not qualified enough to mentor someone and disciple someone. I, I'm going to tell you right now, you only need two qualifications. Only two. Your only two qualifications are this. Jesus has redeemed you and given you victory over your sin. One, bam, got that, check. Two, got to be willing. Those are the only two requirements for being a disciple maker. And I think I can prove to you, as stupid as I am, God, guys, I'm so dumb. Like, I'm, I'm what our youth kids, you know, this is our vernacular, I'm a dingus. <laughs> Yeah, and my youth kids will tell you, yeah, he is. <laughs> How stupid am I, am I, guys? Yeah, I'm pretty dumb, right? <laughs> like, and some of the crazy things that I do, sometimes I'm way more immature than them, I'm telling you. Like, sometimes I'm way more immature. My youth kids will look at me, Zach, like, tone it down a little bit. Like, I'm getting crazy. And, 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 and so I just want to encourage you guys, like, if anyone's not qualified to make disciples, it's me. But do you know what? Kids are flourishing. College students are flourishing. You know, Dane and I have had the ultimate pleasure of seeing, I can't even count anymore how many people have come to Jesus at Channel Islands at our school. And you know what? When I first got to Channel Islands and when I first started becoming a part of like the Christian clubs there, I thought that I was going to be a preacher, man. I thought that I was going to get up in front of all the Christian clubs and I thought I was going to proclaim truth to everyone and do an altar call and everyone's going to come to Jesus. I never expected I was actually going to be doing all the ministry by making them tacos at my house. I never expected it would be me going into their dorm rooms and just having them cook me food and then me listen to their issues. I never thought that it would be me going door to door, knocking on their doors and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? never thought that it would be in that way because I always thought saw myself as the preacher, right? But the call is to make disciples individually. And so I want to encourage you. You are equipped. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are equipped to make disciples, guys. Never, ever, ever sell yourself short on that. I want to let you know that because I've spent so much time feeling inadequate because of my youth. I felt I spent so much time feeling inadequate because of past sins that I've committed. I've spent so much time because I, I look at other youth pastors and I look at other pastors and I look at other even, you know, students that are my age and I'm like, man, they've got it so much more together than me. But ain't it amazing that God uses the foolish things of this world? Amen. God uses the foolish things of this world. And do you know what? You're foolish, man smarter than me, but you're foolish. And we need to just embrace that. Because there's this tension that I'm coming to realize. As in 1 Corinthians, it says, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. He uses the foolish things to put forth his purpose on this earth. But do you know what? It also says that for those that teach, in James 3, it says those who teach will have a stricter judgment than all else. 
And, and, and here's the thing. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things. Right? So there's this tension that we have as Christians. There's this tension between God uses us because we're foolish and it gives him more glory. But there's also this dramatic judgment that comes on, like, that God gives us if we mishandle those that he puts in our lives to disciple, right? So there's this tension between I'm foolish, but I need to be careful. The word I've been describing it lately is the careful idiot. That's who God uses. The careful idiot. Him who realizes I am foolish and I am nothing without the Lord. But do you know what? With what he gives me, I will be careful and I will steward it well. For those of you parents, I'm coming to realize, you parents, you ain't experts either. You guys are doing it on the fly also, right? You, you guys are learning as you go. You students, you ain't got life figured out. I know that. None of us really have life figured out, which is okay, because it allows us to lean on the guidance of our Savior, Jesus. You see, one thing I know is that I have zero ministry experience, and I don't have all the awesome games to give my youth group, and I don't have all the awesome ideas. I got this, though. You see, you guys, you may not have this discipleship experience. You haven't raised up those Billy Grahams, right, in your life. You, you may look back on your life and you're like, man, I'm not worthy of discipling anyone. Well, good. Do you know what Jesus is? And he's given you his word. And you get to guide people according to what it says in this. Whether you're an adult or whether you're a kid in here, you need to be discipling someone according to Jesus' words, not your own, Right? So do you know what? You would say, hey, I'm not qualified to disciple someone because I don't know anything. I would say the less you know, the better. The more you get to lean on this. The less you lean on your own understanding, the more you'll lean on the Lord's. I could tell you that, man. And so we as people, we as imperfect human beings, we need to recognize our humanity and it'll make us humble before our Savior, but we also need to know, do you know what? God's given you children. God's given you neighbors. God's given you friends. God's given you some younger people in the faith. God's put them in your lives. Steward them carefully. For God will, at the end, he will say, what did you do with the sheep I entrusted you with? What did you do? Right? It'll be like the, it'll be like the man who gave money to his servants. And some just dug a hole, put the money in the hole, the master came back. He said, you didn't even invest it. You, you didn't even use it to buy property. You didn't, you didn't use it to multiply. And they're like, no, I was afraid I was going to mess up. That, that servant didn't get well done, good and faithful servant, right? You see, for those that God has entrusted you with people in your life that you get to disciple and nurture and pastor, God at the end of your life is going to say, what did you do with these people that I put you with? These friends that I gave you, these coworkers that I gave you, these classmates that I gave you, what did you do with them? I gave them to you, Christian. How did you steward them? How did you steward them? Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> now, guys, I understand that this whole concept of discipleship sometimes it's like, all right, cool, like make disciples, but how, right? How the heck would I do that? Because you know what? There's some junior hires in here, some high schoolers in here like, yo, like I ain't got, like I really don't got nothing. Like I, I can't even pay to, like, to get someone coffee, right? Like uh, how, how am I supposed to disciple someone? And I'll tell you something, no matter what, no matter what, there's someone in your life. If you have a younger sibling, I've realized the, the biggest things in my life that I need to steward are my younger siblings. So they come first priority before all my, uh, all my youth kids or my siblings. If you have siblings, bam, disciples right there. For some of you adults, you have siblings in your life. Younger siblings in your life, you've cast them away. 
God has given them to you to steward. You older brothers and sisters, what are you doing with your siblings? How are you stewarding them? Parents, I I don't need to even tell you. You got your kids, right? Are you stewarding them well? But I'll give you just three easy tips on discipleship. If I were if I were to give you any tips on making disciples and being a disciple and and learning how to disciple people so that we can actually come into this place where we are truly being a part of the great commission. The first tip I would give you guys is out of John 15. He says, "I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away." And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, the first step to making disciples is being a disciple. The first step to making disciples, guys, is being a disciple, first of all, of Jesus. We need to be abiding in the vine of the Lord. It's an an often used metaphor, but it, it works every time. Where we are a stream. We are a stream. And if we are not being flowed into the water that comes out of us, is going to be dirty, right? And stagnant. You ever see a pool that's just been sitting there? You don't want to drink out of that. Nobody wants to take their cup and draw water from that. But you want to draw water from a stream that is flowing from both ends. And so as God flows through you, you pour out to others. You see, if God is not continually flowing through you, you're going to have nothing to give to people. And that's when ministry burnout happens. That's when you lay down at night and you said, this isn't worth it. This is too tiring. I feel like there's no fruit. All the while Jesus is saying, are you abiding in me? Are you abiding in me? Are you spending time with me, Christian? You spend time with so many people on a daily basis. Do you spend time with me? The Lord would say. Can you say, as the psalmist said, I am satisfied with you. Can your soul say, as it says in Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Can your soul say that? Can, can, can you honestly say that you get to sit down with the Lord and you get to have time with your father? Time with your father. Time with your heavenly father. How are you abiding in Jesus Christ, right? Are you abiding in Jesus? The first step to making disciples is being a disciple of Christ allowing him to flow in you and flow out of you. And also, guys, being a disciple of someone else. You see, it would be great pride for me to say that I am qualified to disciple other people, but I myself am not willing to be discipled, right? If I myself am not willing to be discipled, don't trust my discipleship. Don't trust me. I'm getting discipleship mainly from my father, but also from other pastors at the church and some pastors that aren't from this church. I get discipleship from my friends. I get discipleship from other ministry leaders. You need to make sure that you yourself can submit to be discipled before you expect anyone to submit to you as a disciple maker. Right? You you cannot expect to pour into someone if you yourself are not willing to be poured into because do you know what? Then you're always going to be right. And no one wants to be discipled by the know-it-all. Nobody right? You don't know everything. Be discipled. Be discipled. It's one of the greatest acts of pride to say you have nothing to learn from people, right? It's one of the greatest acts of pride to say you're the smartest person in the room. Though you may be, but there's always people you can learn from, right? So the first step, guys, be a disciple. Second step, second step is to feed who is hungry. Feed who is hungry. You says, it says in Matthew chapter seven, verse six, it says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Guys, it, it, it is one of the greatest tragedies 
to pour your entire life into someone who doesn't even want to be poured into. It is one, I can tell you from experience, it is one of the biggest tragedies. It is emotionally and physically draining to pour your life into someone who wants nothing to do with you. And nothing to do, not so much as you, but nothing to do with Jesus, right? And so we disciple and we endeavor with people. You see, we preach the gospel to even those that don't want to hear it, right? But we disciple those who are willing to receive what you have to offer. So the second step to discipleship, guys, is to find those who are hungry. Find those who are hungry. I was talking with, um, I was having coffee with a good friend the other day. And, and we were talking about our churches. She goes to another church. And, and, and we were kind of just talking about the discipleship in our church. And we noticed something. We noticed that there's many young people with a desire to be discipled, but the older people think that the young people don't want to be discipled. So there's many older people in the church that say, ah, you know, like the young people, they just don't listen. They want to do their own thing. And then the young believers are like, ah, I just wish some older people would come alongside me. I, I can tell you, as, as the college minister here at the church, I can tell you that there are many young people here at the church, my age, that desperately want to be discipled, but they think that the older people hate them. Yeah, I know. And you, you guys are like, what? How can that be? Well, if you endeavor to talk to them and disciple any of the younger people here at the church, we're hungry. We're hungry. We want it. Not a lot of people give it to us, Right? And it's, it's, it's the same in every generation, right? See, every generation thinks that the other generation doesn't want anything to do with them, right? And, and, and so, so there's, this, there's this paradigm where we need to recognize who's hungry and who isn't. We need to be searching for that, right? We need to be searching for those that desire to be fed. And, and so I would, I would suggest to you, when you go to church, and when you develop relationships as you should be doing at church, not just attending, but developing relationships because these are your family members, right? As you develop relationships with people in the church, kind of feel people out. All right. Are they hungry people? Do they desire to be discipled? Are they being discipled? If someone's already being discipled, good. Praise the Lord. But if you see a lonely sheep, whether they're a year younger than you or 10 years younger than you or even older than you, I've done that. I've discipled people older than me. Look for people that are hungry for the word of God. Look for people that are hungry for discipleship. Feed those who are hungry. And for those that aren't hungry, pray for them. Always be there for them. But don't give your pearls to swine, right? Because they won't appreciate it. Does that make sense? Right? Don't give your precious time to those who aren't even going to give anything back, right? And so my last, my last and final point in making disciples before we go into worship is from Acts chapter two, verse 48, when the apostles knew at this whole church thing, right? Like we're veterans in this whole church thing, right? Like we, we, you know, some of you have been going to church longer than I've been alive, right? And, 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 and like, we're, we're good at some of, some of our youth students, like we've grown up in the church, okay? We've grown up in the church. We are more used to church than the apostles were. You guys ever think about that? Like we're more used to church structure than the apostles were when they were starting the church. But here's what's super cool about what the apostles did. And I'm I'm really trying to emulate this in our youth ministry. I'm really trying to get back to like biblically based discipleship in church, the way church is supposed to be. And in Acts chapter two, verse 48, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there was this balance in the early church. There was this balance between they met in the synagogues, right? They met in the temples, right? Where they all got together as we do here on Wednesday nights. But then they also broke bread together in their homes, right? So we see that there's this macro discipleship happening where Pastor Rob gets up here and he disciples us and he does a great job at it casting the vision and empowering us and equipping us. But there also needs to be micro discipleship where we break bread together. And so the third and final point to discipleship guys is do life together. Do life together. Do you invite people into your home? Right? And this is, this is tough for me because I do not have the gift of hospitality, man. I do not. Right. I, I like my home. I like to sleep in it and eat in it. Like, <laughs> That's it, you know? 
But lately, I've just been loving having some of my youth kids over, having a bunch of the college students over, having everyone over at my house where I get to cook for them and we get to just watch TV together and then go through the Bible together. I love that. It's so satisfying. It is so satisfying, guys. So invite people to your homes. Do life with people. Those you disciple, don't just like hang out with them and pray for them here at the church. Invite them to dinner. Go out to coffee with them. Man, after work or on your lunch break, go have lunch together. You see, discipleship truly occurs as it did with Jesus and his disciples when real life happens. You better believe some of the most gnarly discipleship was probably around the campfire, right? When late at night, after all the ministry was done at the end, Jesus just sat down with his disciples and ate with them around a campfire, did life with them. He went to the disciples' homes and allowed them to cook for him, right? Do life together. And I just want us to come into this point, guys, where we're emulating our savior and discipleship. But to remember in all things, guys, that discipleship truly stems from this victory we have in Christ. Because without the cross and without us coming to the foot of the cross and realizing the resurrection of Christ, taking away our sins, we'll be just like Peter. I just want to fish. I just want to fish. And some of you are really discouraged tonight where you've just been knocked down and you've lost a little bit of hope and you kind of backed away from discipleship and you backed away from doing ministry with people and you've backed away from true real life with people because you just want to fish. You just want to go to your job. You just want to go home and just lay down because you've been discouraged somehow. I want to let you know that Jesus, he wants to enter into your life and he wants, to, he wants you to abide in him. That he may fill you up to overflowing to where you can't even contain it and you can't even help but your life overflow onto other people. Let's make disciples together, amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this amazing time that we've had together. I pray that um, as we worship now, as we sing these songs, I pray that we'd abide in you, that we truly seek you in prayer and in worship. But as it says in, in Colossians, that we would admonish one another in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. God, that this worship and us singing to you would not just be about uh, reverence, but it would also be about fellowship and us fellowshipping with you and each other. And so, Lord, knit our hearts together. And I pray for those hungry sheep out there that are looking for a shepherd. And I pray for those shepherds out there that are looking for sheep. I pray that you would connect them. God, with your sovereign hand, you would bring people together. You'd bring community together. And we would be able to see revolution here in this community, starting small and just spreading like a wildfire. Empower us to make disciples. Empower us to get out of our comfort zones. Lord, help me. Because there's so many times where I just don't want to do it. Lord, I just um, I pray for that grace and that empowerment. Help us, Jesus. We love you and we worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.